Was that good? Was that fun? All right, you guys can be seated, get comfortable. Somebody's going to figure out how to bring a pool here next time, I think. It is a nice warm day. I'm thankful that it is not raining on us today. And I think we got our online stream fixed. We lost them for a minute. It's good to have you guys back. And we, the Trunk or Treat is already looking awesome. I'm so excited for the way we get to bless and encourage our community with this. Now, I wonder, I'm, I'm pretty sure the adults out here that were kids in the 80s and the 70s and before can remember the feeling of trunk or treating. And in fact, when you think of the feeling of trunk or treating, you probably think of those 80s masks that we wore of like He-Man that was that hard plastic and it felt like it was like cutting into your face and if you lived in Southwest Florida like I did, you would feel like it's trying to drown you because the heat and the humidity is all just collecting inside of it as you're trying to go around and just fill your pillowcase up with loads of candy house to house. And I'm sure that you, like me, as a young child, as a kindergartner, where you don't really have, have the control of your facial expressions, got to a house one time where you were trunk or treating, and you opened up your bag, and they reached in and gave you a box of raisins. Now, I'm not trying to embarrass you if you brought raisins with you to give away today, but I think that you will agree with me that when a kid is going door-to-door trick-or-treating, they are not looking for raisins, they are not looking for dental floss, they did not want a new toothbrush from you, they wanted a bag of Skittles or something. And when you give that young child who doesn't know how to control it very well yet that box of raisins, their face just goes... Like, what have you, like, it just, it's wrong. What you did to me was just wrong. And, and there's that sense that happens. That's one of the reasons why when you get to the golf side car today, you will get a full-size candy bar when you get there. Because we recognize, we recognize what you're looking for and that a, a box of raisins doesn't quite do it today. And, and I just bring that up to kind of bring, bring to thought that feeling that you get when something isn't right. Like, like when you feel like that is not right, that is unjust, that's not the way that it's supposed to be, because we start to feel that at a very young age, even in things as simple as, I shouldn't be getting raisins when I'm trunk or treating. But it grows into bigger things. Uh, before we get into the topic today, I'm going to give you guys a quote from William Carey, who's known as the father of missions. And, and he has a lot of quotes that are really good. One of the things about him, just so you know, in a time where slavery... Slavery was still generally accepted in the church as an Englishman who served in India and translated the Bible into many different languages. When he would go back to England, he refused to eat sugar at all because he understood that it was brought there by the hands of slaves. And he looked at that and he said, that's just wrong. I can't enjoy that. I can't have that. And he had that sense of principle. He, he has lots of great quotes out there from things like, I'm a dreamer and continue to dream of what can and will be expecting great things from God, attempting great things for God. To, he has lots of great quotes, but the one I really want to put in front of your mind today is he said, I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. I want you to hear that. I'm not afraid of failure. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. Because we should be achieving something and our life will drive us towards doing something. And the problem becomes when we are victorious at things that really don't make a difference in life and things that don't make a difference in eternity. 
And there should be, should be something within us that when we see injustice in the world, it wells up towards a response, towards making a difference in our city, in our world. But I fear that we've become so successful and so busy with other things that don't really make a difference. We don't even have any bandwidth left to do the things that matter. And I'm talking about the things that matter that we want to be doing. And I believe wholeheartedly because of experience, because of what Scripture teaches, because of what I've seen in the church, when you get close to God, God puts on your heart an injustice that he wants you to attack, to change, to make a difference in. And it's a mission that is there in our heart, but it often gets crowded out by things that just genuinely don't matter. And I want to call our attention back to that today. We're in week number four of a series called What's Next? And for our church, the fourth and incredibly important thing is making a difference. We have to be a church that makes a difference in our world. And some of the things that we feel passionate about changing, sometimes we have this reaction to it, well, God, I would love to see that change, but it's been going on for hundreds of years. It's a problem that the resources would require too much of me. How could I ever change that? And today's passage that we're going to get into in Nehemiah chapters 1 and chapter 2, I want, I want to take you to the situation where the Jewish people had been defeated and they were brought out of their city and out of their country. And it had been, in 587 BC, they were defeated. And we're going to pick up in Nehemiah's story, and it had been 140 years, 140 years since the Jewish people were living in Jerusalem when the walls were still built and the gates were still constructed. And so Nehemiah is serving, and he's serving the, a, a king that does not know God. And he has a dream and a passion to see Jerusalem restored. And, and I bring that up because it had been 140 years, 140 years since they were defeated. So how long does it take a dream to die? How long does it take before it's something that you dream about? It feels like that's just been happening too long. Well, thankfully, we serve a God who's not bound by time, not bound by those resources, but he is able and he desires to be at work. And so what happened in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting at verse 3, Nehemiah was getting the report for, from men who were coming back from Jerusalem and it said, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. And in fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Now when Nehemiah got the news about the condition of Judah, the condition of Jerusalem, and the disgrace and trouble they were in, he sat down and he wept. To talk about seeing something, hearing something, and it just breaks your heart. That's where he was at. And the issue, it had been going on for 140 years. The problems seemed insurmountable. He didn't have the resources that were required to fix the walls, to repair the city. But it was enough that it broke his heart. And in the month that he found out, before he ends up having a conversation with the king about it, he spent four months praying about it. But right at the beginning, I want to make sure that you see the passion. He sat down and wept. And in fact, for days, I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven, which sets for us a precedent that when something is breaking our heart, when there's something that we feel like we need to help change, we need to seek after God 
for it. We need to pray to God for it. And there's some conversations that we have with God that are like text message conversations and some that are like they require a phone call. I mean, some require time spent praying before God. And this issue is one that he spent months talking to God about it and praying about it before the opportunity arose for him to do something. But we see that he, he was seeking God faithfully. And just so you know a bit about him, the passage tells us that he was serving as the cupbearer for the king. Now, this is sort of like if you mix bodyguard and bartender together, this was his job. His job was to make sure that the king didn't get poisoned by first drinking what could possibly be poison. And so when you think about his relationship with the king, it was close enough that the king trusted him. The king trusted him with his life, but the king also looked at him as someone who, you know, if someone's got to die, let's choose him. Like, I mean, he's going to be the guy that he drinks what could kill me, and it's better that he die than I do. And that was Nehemiah's position. And so he wasn't in an incredibly close position with the king where he was considered valuable because he was already put in a place where if someone's got to die, it's going to be this guy instead of anyone else in my court. And so Nehemiah has this relationship of closeness but distance with the king. And so there came a point one day where the king looked at him and saw something in Nehemiah's face and his heart that said, I can tell that you're not physically sick, but I can tell something's on your heart. Tell me what's going on. And this is where in verse 5 it says that when he respond, he's responded with a prayer to the God of heaven and then replied to him. And so when Nehemiah had this opportunity to talk to the king about what was happening, it's interesting and I think it's intentional that it's like that text message to God, that short conversation, that, that God, the thing that we've been praying about and talking about for months, this is the moment. God, will you work now? And so with the prayer to the God of heaven, he replied to the king. And the way that he replied, I think, is incredibly important because when we as a church talk about what we want to do in the city, but also when you as an individual talk about what God has put on your heart to do in this season of life, I think it's important that you can, you can name that out in one sentence. Because when the king asks Nehemiah, what is wrong? What's affecting his heart? He doesn't begin to go in, well, you know, I hear that Jerusalem is really nice this season, and there's some people I know that are going, and I might kind of maybe like to go back with them and kind of see what my ancestors came from. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't him and haw. He doesn't have to think about it. He clearly, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5, he replies to the king and says, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Now, wrap your mind for just a moment around what he just asked. Dear king, if you like me enough, will you send me to rebuild my country that your people once had to conquer? I would like to rebuild the walls around it that help keep people like you out of it. And I know that I'm here serving and protecting you, but I'd like to go there. And that's a pretty big, dangerous ask in this day and age. But he knew, and it had rested on his heart for so long that he had no fear about asking for it. And I wonder how many people across our church, across the churches in Cape Coral, that if you ask them, what is God trying to do through your life right now? What is your purpose right now? What is your mission right now? I wonder how many people could verbalize that. In one sentence, say, this is what God is doing. God has positioned me, and he has put me in a place where I am going to help fight what's happening in the human trafficking right now. 
I wonder how many people are passionate and say, you know what, God has put a passion on my heart that I'm going to stop hunger in our city, that I think it's unjust and unfair that kids in Cape Coral and North Fort Myers are going to bed hungry at night, and that's what I'm fighting against. And I wonder how many of us have become so consumed with busyness that we just can't even put to words what we think God might want us to do. And I bring this because I want to bring it to your attention. I want to bring it to your consideration that if we're a church that's going to be making a difference, it's not something that just happens collectively. I think this is awesome. I think people are going to come and they're going to discover that there's a church that wants them here because they came just to bring their kids to Chunk or Treat. This makes a difference. It's a cool thing. But it is not even a small piece of the impact our church should have on a city as each one of us pursue a mission that God has placed on each one of our own hearts. Our church has the ability to upend what's normal in this city by individually living out that calling that God has placed on us. But we have to know what it is. And and the the thing is we slip into this thing of, you know, I believe God wants me to get out of debt, but that iPhone 12 just came out on Friday and it looks pretty nice and so I'm just, I'm going to swipe it. Like, I, I, I believe God wants me to honor him in my body and I need to get in better shape, but man... A pizza sure does sound good right now. And and we have these wants, these desires. It's like we want to make a difference, but we don't ever make the actual plan for what we need to do. And so we never actually progress in the mission. And that happens in our life. It happens in our health. It happens in our debt. I believe it happens in our churches. Because we have this intent that, oh, it would be nice to make a difference, but we never put plans to it. And church, I want to encourage you. I want to remind you. I want to tell you for the first time, if you've never heard it before, God has a calling on your life to make a difference in this city that is independent of any program in the church. It's independent of anyone else pushing on your back to make you do it. It's dependent upon you saying yes to God and following through with a plan. When God puts something on your heart to make a difference, we need to define the vision clearly and go after it. And we need to begin to make careful plans, to make plans carefully. Goals without a plan, it's just a wish. It's not actually a plan. It's not actually a purpose. In verse 7 of chapter 2, Nehemiah continued with the king, and he said, If it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province of the west of Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories. And he asked for lumber. He asked for resources. He asked for all the things. He made big asks because he understood that he had a big plan in front of him of what he needed to do. We have to begin to figure out what do we need to be successful in this thing that God has called me to do. It may be as simple of a plan of saying, we're going to finally go ask those neighbors over for dinner, or it may be as big as figuring out how to to start a nonprofit that is going to help feed people within our city. But we need to begin to make plans, because what we need to do, what we need to change in this city, it's going to take people rising up and, and taking steps of action. And I'll say it this way. We know that people can get passionate about things. We, we know that because one, we're going to look around and we're going to see some trunk or treat stuff that it's like, wow, you, you, you got passionate about this. Um, I see cars that are connected to cars out here and, and there's all kinds of decorations and, and costumes and it's awesome. People get passionate about things. I'm going to pick on the men for a minute because we tend not to get too passionate about things unless it's like sports. Because if it's sports, a grown man, tell me, tell me, I know I'm telling the truth, but you can affirm to me through shaking your head, honking your horn, whatever. Have you ever seen a man cry over a sport? Yes. Yes, you have. 
Have you ever seen a man spend more than $1,000 on one sporting event? Yes, you have. Have you ever seen a man paint his body with paint over a sporting event? Yes, you have. Men, we have the great capacity to get passionate about things. But my fear is that we've gotten passionate about the wrong things. And not things that are bad because, man, I I like sports. I enjoy sports. If you've ever seen me coach a sport, you know Paul knows how to yell about sports. I will get into it. But I don't want anything to ever eclipse my passion for my Savior and my passion for people to know the love that is found in God. And so we have to allow God to touch every area of our life. And men, we are incredibly guilty of boxing God into an intellectual environment where the whole work of our faith is to understand something deeper, but keep him away from our emotions, our actions, and our resources. Men, we have to rise up in our faith in a way that we let him get into our emotions and our actions. Because people will look at your face to see whether or not this is important to you. God will look and he will say, have you given me your whole life or just part of it? And men, we need to be able to answer that question that God, you have it all. I love John Wesley's quote about passion. He said, and listen to this, he said, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. People want to see something that is important to you, and we will show them the importance through so many things. Man, the Tampa Bay Rays won in the ninth inning last night, didn't they? Yes! Why can we cheer for baseball so easily, but we get so pent up about the one who gave his life for our our soul, for our very being? He saved us from death and sin and hell and destruction. He gave us eternal life. He gave us abundant life here on earth. He has poured love into our life in a way that we could never receive it from anything else. And we react with timidity. And we should react with passion. And the world is looking at you and they're asking, is your relationship with God real? They're asking, does this make a difference? And I fear that our passion has told them, no, it does not. Because I will limit my interaction to God with a stoic face, with one hour on Sunday mornings, and nothing throughout my week. And men, women, I want to call us up to do something different in the way that we live our life because we have an opportunity to inspire passion into people. And I want to call your memory back for those who have been at the church for a while. And band, I'm going to begin to close this thing up. I think sometimes that first passion that we felt, it, it fades away. And if you came to Christ later in life the way that I did, I bet you can remember this. Some of you guys may not be able to. I can remember what it felt like to go to bed at night after a difficult day before I knew Christ as Savior. I can remember the loneliness and the darkness and the pain that I never expected him to fill But when I said yes to God, he changed so many things that I never dreamed could change. I know that so many of you here can remember what it was like before Christ was present and active in your life. And I want to call to your mind the injustice it is that there are families in our city, in our neighborhood that are breaking apart because they have not heard the gospel in a way that they can understand. 
I want to call to your mind the injustice that people are moving through their life towards eternal separation from God. And within you is the treasure. Within you is the light. Within you is the message that can heal and change everything for a family. But we have become reluctant to speak up, to invite. We have become reluctant to make a difference. But church, we have this treasure and we have this calling. And Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. It takes action. It takes steps. It takes intentionality. And I believe it takes a decision. And church, this is what I want you to decide with me today. If you're a member of Gulfside Church, I want you to decide in this next season, we're going to make a difference. We're going to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And ask God, where is it that you want me to be in the fight at? Is it ending and changing hunger in our city? Is it inviting people in our neighborhood? Is it making a decision that everyone that I work with, I'm going to make sure that I explain to them this message of God's love from my mouth to their ears. They're going to hear it. But I believe if you seek God, he will speak to you and give you a calling. And I know that we as a church, we're going to continue to seek to make a difference in this city through days like this of the trunk or treat and through normal days at work where we have opportunities to engage with other people. But we're, what we're not going to do is we're not going to be successful at things that don't matter and be absent in the things that do. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you give us a calling and a purpose. And I thank you that Nehemiah, in the face of fear, in the face of uncertainty, that he stepped forward to pursue a, a passion you put on his heart. And Father, our passion is to make a difference in Cape Coral and the surrounding cities. Would you show us the doors and show us the opportunities to make a difference in the lives of others? And we thank you for this time. We thank you for this place. We thank you for being at Island Coast High School. And we thank you for our time at Diplomat Wesleyan. Would you bless both of these places and give us the vision to see what we need to do here. In Jesus' name, amen.